This is Cocktails Distilled, a podcast that takes your favorite spirits and liqueurs from the still to the cocktail glass. In each episode, we talk to distillers and creators about particular expressions that their brand have released, what they are, why they were created, and in what cocktails they can be used. Are you ready to understand what's in your glass, or perhaps should be? Welcome to Cocktails Distilled. While a lot of us did drink, perhaps a little more than we should have during the pandemic, the real winner from our time of isolation was the non-alcoholic drinks industry. Already picking up steam before COVID, the sale of non-alcoholic beverages has skyrocketed over the last 18 months. One relatively new brand to the market, but one that has definitely been making an impact, is Everleaf a complex and captivating range of non-alcoholic aperitifs based in the UK. To find out more about the brand, what they are offering, and the true nature of the appeal, we talked to Paul Matthew, the founder of Everleaf. Thanks for joining us, Paul. Thank you very much for having me on. Now, how did a conservation biologist, as was your trade before, end up making non-alcoholic aperitifs? It's been a bit of a journey, I guess, hasn't it, when you put it like that? So yes, my, my academic background was, was conservation biology, and I spent almost 10 years working for conservation charities, starting at the Royal Botanic Gardens at Kew, and for a lot of my time working for Fauna and Flora International, a conservation charity based in Cambridge. But I was always working in bars in my spare time, and I, I started working in bars to, to pay my way through studies and then just kind of carried on because I really enjoyed it and eventually after about 10 years of, of conservation I left to open my own bar so I opened up oh, okay. on Bermondsey Street in London 15 years ago now which is uh, it's been quite a journey I guess 15 years and then we opened another couple ooh, what was it about seven years after that so I've got three bars in London and various other twists and turns on the journey, but essentially Everleaf was was something I wanted to do to combine those two two parts of my life, the, the conservation biology and the and the bartending, but also to to meet the needs of what we were seeing from our bars. We were just getting more and more people wanting low and lower serves and, and wanted to have interesting things to serve them. Yeah, I was about to say a lot of people would have perhaps got into gin for the use of the botanicals. What was it particularly about non-alcoholic that interested you? Well, I did think about getting into gin not long after we opened the hide. And we had various distillers coming through and, and the gin craze, I guess, as you might call it, was starting. And I was quite excited at the prospect of using botanicals to make a gin, but didn't have any money at all, having sold everything I had to buy the bar. So right. it wasn't really on the cards then. But I think what really excited me about the non-alc space was for one, just the, the novelty of it and, and people finding their way and exploring the category, but also how I could use plants to, to add more to it because it's really not the same as, as making a traditional distilled product. And we use plants to try and overcome some of the, the hurdles of non-alc, such as texture. So, yeah, it's a really, really exciting challenge to work on. Now, it is an area of the industry that is picking up an enormous amount of steam. What made you think that the category needed another brand? 
Well, we actually launched a little over three years ago now. So in, in dry Jan 2019. So we were reasonably early into it. And at the time, there was obviously Seedlip and we had some other pretty much gin gin replacement style products. I think Atopia had launched and Cedars had launched, but they're all very much of the same character. Um, and for me as a bartender, it was like having a bar where you only had gin on the back bar to play with. So I wanted a bit of kind of diversity coming into the category. I also wanted something that wasn't trying to be something else. I wanted to, to make it unique and interesting for bartenders to use. So I think what we've tried to do with Everleaf is make something that is is hopefully a great product in its own right and isn't a, well, if you're not drinking, drink this. It's it's hopefully something that's delicious, whatever the occasion. And we've been delighted to see bartenders using it in alcoholic drinks as well as non-alcoholic drinks. Because for me, that's the kind of, if you like, the, the badge of acceptance that it's a decent product and not just something you use when you're not drinking. Now you have three expressions, the forests, moraine and mountain. Do you want to talk us through the flavours of each of these? Yeah, absolutely. We originally launched just with with Everleaf, which has turned into forest as we've developed the, the kind of ecosystem, if you like. So with forest, I was I was looking for all those bittersweet, earthy flavours that I, I like as a bartender. So a lot of aperitifs, digestives, the kind of amaros and vermouths, really looking at what went into them, but also trying to add a few a few ingredients that really interested me as a bartender working out how we could kind of make it familiar but different, if you like. So forest is really on that bittersweet flavour spectrum. So we use, well, for, for me, it's built out of three parts. We have the canopy, the kind of the the bit under the canopy between the, the tops of the trees and the ground, and then the, the earthy ground itself. So with the canopy, the journey starts with all those floral aromatics. So we use things like orange blossom in there, um, we've got a little bit of vetiver root, which adds a, a citrusy, earthy note to it. We use a few things that are more traditional for perfumery, I guess. And we bind all that together with, with orris root, as gin does as well. But that also adds a little note on the nose. And then as you come down through the forest, we've got all those, those epiphytes that grow off the trees. We've got the barks of the trees. So we've got cinnamon and cassia. We've got vanilla from orchids that grow in the, that level under the, under the canopy. And then as you come down to, to the roots, we've, we've got, as I say, orris root, we've got licorice root, angelica root, backed up with gentian as, as a strong bittering agent. So it's designed to take you on this kind of journey through, through a forest and what flavours you might encounter. So that's forest, really, the, and the journey through there. That's a um, lovely way to think of it, actually, is those sort of three divisions and, and making your way through the, from top to bottom through the forest is a lovely analogy. Yeah. I mean, as a bartender, I, I always think of every cocktail I make as, as being the different components, what hits you first, how it's presented, what the aroma is, what the colour is, and then how it hits your palate is very much the kind of beginning, middle and end. So that's what I wanted to try and, I guess, my process for, for working through the development of these flavours as well. And then after 18 months, well, after about a year, we started work on the, the other two um, and they were launched getting on for two years after the first one and with with that I wanted to try and expand into these different biomes and, and talk about some of the plants that were from there but also what kind of emotions you have and with mountain 
again, we're looking at kind of a vermouth style flavor profile, bittersweet, okay. lots of aromatics. And I spent a few years working in, in China and, and Asia. And for me, cycling up through mountains when the cherry blossom was in flower in the spring was such a kind of emotive thing, as well as kind of hiking and, and walking back home in the UK as well. So I wanted to try and pull all those things together. So we start off at the bottom of the valley where you've got cherry blossom and we use uh, a Japanese cherry blossom to do that, which is a really heady scent, but also quite savoury. It's, it's fermented cherry blossom. Really? Okay. And then as you, you go up the side of the mountain, you maybe pick some wild strawberries. So we've got that little bit of strawberry note in there to sweeten it without it being being a, a sweet fruit bomb. It's definitely not that. And then as you get higher, we've got little bits of wormwood coming in, maybe find those by the side of the path. Um, and then at the top, we've got a much colder climate and you've got rose hips coming in to add the bitterness and a, a little bit of tartness to it as well. So again, you've got this kind of journey through a, a fictional ecosystem. You'd never get all those things available to you at the same time, but it's trying to capture a, a journey yeah. and an impression. And then finally, we've got marine. Um, Marine's, I guess, the freshest of the three flavors. It's the most gin-like if you were going to compare it to anything, but it's, it's definitely not trying to be gin. And that, again, super emotive. I mean, you, you've mentioned your move. Um, one of the things that I've enjoyed watching over lockdown was uh, my octopus teacher based on kind of kelp forest biomes in, in South Africa. And if you imagine swimming through a kelp forest, that's the kind of first hit of marine. We use kelp okay. and we use dulse seaweeds as well. So as you go through, I, I love swimming through kelp forests because every time you part the, the fronds of the kelp or the, the stipes of the kelp, you see more things appearing. You see shoals of fish or you might see an octopus or you see the, the shellfish on the bottom or you see what's living on the kelp fronds themselves. We see things above you on the surface of the water. So for me, they're incredibly exciting, biodiverse places. So marine kind of tries to capture that. It's got a little bit of that that salty freshness you get at the back of your nose after you've been messing around in the sea for ages. And then the follow-up to that is, is lying back on the beach and having all those coastal scents waft over you. So we've got a little bit of olive leaf, which for me is a very Mediterranean kind of scent for the coast. We've got a little bit of thyme, because you often get these aromatic herbs growing by the side of the coast. A big part yeah. of it is bergamot. So you've got citrus coming in from bergamot. And again, we use uh, Calabrian bergamot. It's a very Mediterranean kind of, all those warming smells you might get after lying back on the beach, having been swimming for, for a while. And then we use another couple of things to, to kind of accentuate that. There's a touch of eucalyptus, which gives that fresh sea breeze or, or sea spray kind of notes, I think touch of pine so all these kind of things that try and create a biome in your head hopefully when you're drinking it now how did you go about creating these expressions did you tinker with the recipes yourself or did you just come up with the concepts and take it to someone else to develop oh no i've I've developed all these myself initially that was digging things up in the garden, dehydrating them, grinding things up with a pestle and mortar, very kind of bartender style, seeing what things yeah. we had at the bar, testing different botanicals, switching one out, switching another out. I talked about the texture. So for me, it was looking at what, what plants could give texture and mouthfeel because that's such an important part of what we drink in the world of alcohol, but we don't necessarily notice it. 
but I really felt that it was lacking in some of the other non-alcoholics I was drinking. So for me, it was important to try and get a weight, a texture, a smoothness, which not only kind of resonates on your palate directly, but it also helps the other flavours to develop on your palate by, by slowing the flow of the liquid over. So I looked at all sorts of things from, there's a, a, a drink that's made across the kind of southern Mediterranean into, into Turkey called salep. It's made from ground up orchid tubers, which have this, this texture in them. They absorb vast quantities of water and, and make quite a thick, gluey substance. So I tried some recipes for that. I, I dug up some orchids from Dad's garden and ground them up. All right. Played around with all sorts of different things, but in that particular case, we couldn't find a sustainable source. So what we've ended up using is a, is a mixture of seaweed extracts that, that have that kind of carrageenan texture and gum acacia, sustainably sourced from the, the Sahel region of Africa, which is, I, I guess, more commonly used by bartenders for gum syrup. Right. So, yeah, it was, it was very much a, a, a bartender-style process of finding things and playing around with them. And that was, I mean, a good year of, of experimenting to, to do that. I'm always fascinated by people who construct their own products and then have to actually scale them up for commercial use because it's never just a case of multiplying by 10 because everything goes slightly out of whack. So it's finessing the flavour to try and get the same thing on a bigger scale. That's such a good question and and really astute to pick up on because it's been a huge challenge, particularly with non-alc. If you look at alcoholic products, I, I could be making a, a home vermouth in the bar and that would be pretty straightforward. But to, to scale it up is is a totally different prospect altogether. And with non-alc, you have the added issue that you have to have shelf life and longevity um, before it's open and after it's open. So that was a point where I had to get some help in. And I've, I've had some some help from flavor scientists to work out how best to convert what I was making essentially for the bar where you you make something on a Monday and it's used up by the weekend, so you don't really have to worry about shelf life, life yeah. and longevity or how stable the flavours are through to something that could sit on the on the shelf in a supermarket potentially or on the back bar where it's, it's changing temperature all the time. So that mm. was really a really exciting process for me, actually. It was really fascinating to, to learn more about flavour science and, and food science because – Essentially, with non-alcs, you're looking more at food than you are at drink. Alcohol is such a great preservative and such a great stabiliser for flavour. I mean, perfumes are, are alcohol-based because it's a great solvent and it's great at stabilising them. So without yeah. that, all sorts of challenges. And you'll hear this from all, all non-alc producers that, well, it's expensive because it's really expensive to make and it's really challenging to make and it's not easy. <laughs> I know it sounds like we're just kind of yeah. making excuses, but but actually it's it's really not. And looking at all the different stages from what pasteurization does to the aromatics through to how do we get light sensitivity sorted on, on shelf through to what's the fade of different botanicals like over time in the bottles. So how can we how can we mitigate that when we when we first make it? It's been a yeah a long process. If someone was buying one of your expressions for the first time, how would you want them to first experience it? Should they try it neat or should they take it into a cocktail right from the start? As a bartender, the first thing I do with any any new thing is to 
pour a bit out and smell it and taste it neat. So I totally, totally get anybody that wants to do that. And I think we're, we're really proud of the liquid. So please go ahead and give it a try like that. But what we recommend to everybody is to just try it in a, a spritz, first of all. So I wanted to just make something that was super easy to make a complex drink from, if you like. So anybody could take it off the shelf and mix it with a light tonic water or a soda or even with Prosecco if they want, with ice, uh, with a garnish. And they've got a great, refreshing, complex drink that hopefully is is just as rewarding as an alcoholic one for all those times when you, you don't necessarily want to drink alcohol. But then beyond yes. that, hopefully it has lots of things to give the bartender that wants to experiment a bit more. And what have bartenders been making when they've been experimenting with your products? We've had all sorts, actually. I mean, marine has quite a lot of umami in it from the seaweed, a little bit of salinity to it as well. So we've seen people use that with with savoury ingredients like tomato juice in, in red snapper style cocktails. But we've also seen bartenders use that in martinis instead of vermouth to add a okay. uh, umami type note. And I mean, it doesn't really decrease the ABV a lot of a martini, but it adds a kind of fresh seaweedy note. So we've got a lot of seafood restaurants and, and bars near the coast using that in their martinis. Also, the, the blue bar at the Barclay Hotel in London, for example, serve it with a, a martini made with that and an oyster on the side. So that's been great to see. With Mountain, you can pull out the strawberry notes. So we've had people making sours with it, with fresh strawberries, for example. Or you can really use it more like a vermouth in a, in a Negroni because it has that wormwood bitterness component. And then with Forest, lots of people are using it as a, as a spritz, which is, I guess, the most, most obvious thing with that bittersweet flavour profile. But everything from, from sours that draw out the, the vanilla notes through to kind of cornstarch martini style drinks again with the vanilla, through to drinks that might more commonly use something like Suze because it's got that gentian bitterness. So really, I think when you have a complex thing with a lot of botanicals, it's it's easy to pull out different components depending on what you want to try and create. And that's I think why I'm still not remotely bored of drinking them after <laughs> after three years of of daily tastings because there's always something new to discover and there's always something else that comes out. Now, as you mentioned earlier, you started the brand in 2019. It wouldn't have been long before the pandemic hit. How did the brand cope through that period? Uh, yeah, that was a challenging time. I mean, being a bartender, my, my first port of call was, was other bartenders. So we really grew the brand in the on-trade and had some great bartenders and some great bars adopt us really early on. So it was it was a really positive time in kind of January 2020 with, with lots of great listings, lots of lots of stuff going on around dry January. My mm. bars were doing all right as well, uh, and then all of a sudden, I mean that yeah, the world changed as, as we know in <laughs> quite a major way, uh, and immediately it was a case of having to close our bars and work out what on earth we were going to do there, which kind of took my focus away from Everly for a bit. But also we were we were eighty percent on trade with with Everleaf, so all of a sudden four fifths of our of our business dried up overnight, and we had suppliers sending bottles back saying, "Can you refund us? We haven't got anyone to sell them to oh, now." Lord. Yeah. So it was, a, it was a really challenging period, but then 
I think after the initial lockdown, things started to settle out. And we had a period of about three weeks after lockdown was announced where I think everyone was just drinking every night. It's like, okay, I don't have to go to work. Every night's a Friday. Let's crack open a bottle. The world's stressful. Let's have a drink. Yeah. Um, but quickly we started to see that changing. And I think people realized after a few weeks that, oh, okay, this, this maybe isn't great. I'm drinking too much. It's not very sustainable. We don't know how long this is going to last. It's not great for my mental health with everything else going on. And our, our online sales really started to pick up. And we ended up after a few months being completely switched around and doing a, a similar volume, but 80% direct to consumers rather than through, through bars and restaurants. And then we've been on a roller coaster ever since, really, because the entree's open up and it's closed again and it's open up again. Yes. Um, we're yeah. finally starting to see things get back to normal in the UK, certainly. And fortunately, we've kept quite a lot of that direct consumer trade and we've got the, the bar business back as well. So I'm really excited about what this year's got to offer. And I hope as certainly in the, in the Northern Hemisphere, we come towards spring and, and summer that everybody's able to start getting out and, and we can start selling people spritzes in the sun. Yes, which sounds lovely. Have you got most of your on-trade business back again or is that has it been a bit of a slow process to get the bars back on board? It hasn't actually. It's it's been really I think quicker than we expected to to start getting getting the bars back on board. I think people were really quite excited about the product originally and and so we've had a lot of great conversations but also a lot more bars now are, are trying to improve their no and low options and we've had a lot more positive conversations than maybe we would have had three years ago with more mainstream venues i guess saying well yeah absolutely we we really need to have good low and low options for our guests what's out there and we're we're lucky to have won a lot of great awards so it's it's quite an easy conversation to say well have one of the best here you go we're happy to, to taste against anything else you might have now as you were shifting towards consumers during the lockdowns did you find that you needed to do a lot of education around the brand or were consumers already on board i think one of our biggest challenges has been explaining what our belief is because if you're a non-alcoholic gin alternative or a non-alcoholic rum alternative, it's super easy for regular consumers to just say, oh, okay, well, I'm not drinking. I'm going to drink the same as I normally drink, but it's a non-alcoholic version. So with non-alc beer as well, it's, it's similar. But we are trying to be a non-alc style of drink that people aren't entirely familiar with anyway. I mean, listeners here will be very familiar with with vermouths and amaros and and all the different categories of drinks that are out there but your regular consumer in the supermarket maybe isn't isn't that aware of what an aperitif is to start with and then for us to say yeah. we're a non-alcoholic aperitif is is a bit of a conversation and then okay it's an aperitif well how what do i do with it then how do i serve it so we do need to do more education than than some other brands out there i think but it's also a great opportunity to, to tell people more about the brand and to tell a, a bit of our story. We are a bit more of a complex thing than, than some out there. Um, and in a way, that's, that's our strength as well. We, we have more depth to the story. We, we talk a lot about sustainability and where the botanicals are coming from. 
we're, we're happy to talk about our methodology. We talk about more interesting cocktails. So if people want to delve a bit deeper into what, what makes Everleaf Everleaf, then there's, there are those layers of the onion to peel back. There's more to it. So hopefully in the long run, it's a benefit. Although in the, in the immediate short term, it's, it means there's more of a conversation to be had. Now, speaking of that, your mission is all about promoting the conservation of plant biodiversity. Tell us a little bit more about how that works. Working for conservation charities, I was always focused on plants. My father was a botanist all his career, uh, so I kind of inherited that from him. And my studies were initially on plants, and then a lot of the work I did for conservation charities was, was around plants and I worked on something called the Global Trees Campaign to, to conserve threatened tree species. But whatever we did in conservation all came down to the plants and the habitats because even if you're trying to save a tiger or a giant panda or whatever kind of charismatic animal you're you're picking, they're reliant on the, the habitat that they live in. They're, they're reliant on the, the plants at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, so for me, it was, it was always kind of like, why, why don't people talk more about the plants? So I guess what I'm trying to do is to, to communicate that a little bit and say plants are absolutely fundamental to, to any other conservation work we do. If you want to conserve rainforests, if you want to conserve whatever sort of habitat you're working on, plants are the bedrock of that. And, and having so many of them in Everleaf is a, a chance to kind of tell the story. So whether that's vanilla and, and sourcing from fully traceable small farms in Madagascar through what is quite a challenging supply chain through to the gum acacia that adds texture to all of them and how the great green wall of trees that's being planted across the Sahel region of Africa is helping to combat desertification through to, I just, there are just so many stories with plants that I'm dying to tell. So one of the things is to tell those stories. Another bit of it is to, to help support, charities that are doing work there so we're a member of one percent for the planet we we give that through former flora international who i used to work for but also looking at sustainability from a, a wider perspective with the brand and, and trying to work out how everything we do can be a little bit better but part of it's awareness raising part of it's direct giving and part of it is uh, is wider sustainability initiatives now you mentioned that the marine and the mountain were created about two years ago. Does that mean that there's possibly a new expression in the works at the moment? I, I would love to be experimenting and releasing all sorts of new things, and I'd love to take the concept of, of biomes wider and, and do things like coral reefs or deserts. Or I've, I've got all sorts of ideas, but I, I need to not kind of break us too early on. We've right. had so many challenges over the last couple of years that I think we're gonna we're gonna stay put for the moment and try and try and work with what we've got and communicate and and learn what's working and what isn't working and then maybe we can go from there. But yeah, absolutely full of ideas and I mean there are um, many many plants out there in the world that are delicious and exciting and have stories to tell. So I would love to use more in the future. What do you see as the future of the category? Do you think that no alcoholics are going to go from strength to strength or that the enthusiasm is going to sort of level out a bit? Or I think one of the things I hope happens is that the line between alk and non-alk is blurred a little bit more. It's almost a them and us 
at the moment and it's right. all their non-out products we're going to put those over here and, and these are the alcoholic products and if we're doing a cocktail list we're going to put non-alcoholic things at the bottom out of the way and then these are the alcoholic ones i think what's what's really nice is to blur that boundary and to, to see all of these as being great products that can be used together or they can be used separately and just to blur that boundary of these are all aperitifs some of them have alcohol some of them don't have alcohol these are all clear botanical spirits. Some of them have alcohol, some of them don't have alcohol. These are barrel-aged things. Some of them have alcohol, some of them don't have alcohol. And I'd really like to see that starting to happen so that you go to a bar for a great drink and some of those great drinks have alcohol and some of those great drinks don't have alcohol and some of them are somewhere in, in between and, and don't have too much, but it's there for a purpose. We don't eat for energy and food. We, we eat for the pleasure of eating, by and large. And, and likewise, mm. we don't drink for the alcohol to get drunk. We drink for the pleasure of drinking, hopefully. I mean, there's obviously exceptions there. But, but on the whole, yes. But on the whole, yeah. I really want people to, to enjoy their drinks, whether or not alcohol is part of that. Hopefully it isn't the deciding factor going forwards. So that was what you were referring to earlier when you were talking about bartenders using the products in alcoholic drinks the thing i've been really pleased to see about the development of the category is is bartenders using non-alc in alc because that shows a, a wider acceptance of it and the fact that these products are, are good enough to be used wherever they, they they stand their ground on the back bar so the brand is available in marks and spencers and some pretty high-end cocktail bars what are the plans for export and local availability? Well, we've we've gone into a few international markets already, which is really exciting. So we're in Belgium, Germany, the Netherlands. We have some stock in the, the UAE at the moment and some in Iceland. So we're kind of putting out feelers and seeing seeing how it does. We have been historically a little constrained with production, but we're hopefully getting to the, the bottom of that now and so we have stock available for for other places and it's, it's great to see how it's being being adopted there so that's really exciting in the uk we're we're growing the number of on-trade outlets by the day and it's it's incredible now the number we're in i think it's seven or eight hundred different places that are stocking us at the wow. moment which is fantastic the the relationship we have with marks and spencers has been brilliant so it's great to be able to tell people that they can just pop into a, a local supermarket there and pick one up and an econ is a really interesting channel for us as well and we're looking at, at how we can maximize awareness that we're available easily online too because that gives us another opportunity to to tell a bit of the everleaf story to people because like i yeah, say we've, we've got all these different layers to it and it's it's a great place to be able to tell people about those layers online out of curiosity, which of the three is the most popular? That's an interesting question because it really varies depending on which, which stream we're looking at. So Forest is really popular amongst bartenders, I think, because it's the, the strongest flavour and, and most unique. Marine is really popular whenever we do an event and people are tasting tasting on our stand. So I think also particularly that, that journey that we talk of for the Marine, swimming through the the sea and then lying back on the beach is a very emotive one. Um, so that does really well then. And mm. Mountain does really well online. I think the, the beautiful colour of it and, and some of the, the blossom that we talk about there is really, really popular. So 
I think Forrester Mountain slightly ahead on Marine at the moment, but but all doing well. It's it's really really good to see. Now, of course, if people want more information, they can go to your website, which is everleafdrinks.com, or connect with the brand on your socials. Yeah, absolutely. We're Everleaf Drinks on most social channels. I'm Everleaf Paul, so we're, we're easy to find. Really interested to engage with people online as well. So please get in touch and, and take a look and ask us any questions you'd like. I'm really happy to be transparent and honest about any part of the business. So just drop me a line and I'm happy to help. Well, it was great speaking with you, Paul. So thank you so much for taking the time and taking us on a journey through your microbiomes. Thanks very much, Deb. It's been great to talk to you. Excellent. Thank you. And we'd also like to thank you for listening. Be sure to visit cocktailstostill.com to access the show notes. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love you to subscribe, rate, or give a review on iTunes. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.